Hey, IC Warriors. Have you been feeling stuck on your journey to learn your unique triggers? I used to feel this way too until I started investigating my diet triggers through an elimination diet. But I'm not going to lie to you. The process was not perfect or even close to it. Fast forward five or so years and I'm now an IC dietitian helping other people with IC minimize their symptoms. And I want to help you take on the elimination diet with success, saving you time, money, and energy long term. To help you, I created a free masterclass on diet for IC. The class covers how the IC diet was created and why it shouldn't be followed long term, how to identify your diet triggers, my personal elimination diet protocol that I use with my clients, and the top five most common elimination diet mistakes that I see as a interstitial cystitis dietitian. After watching the masterclass, you'll feel confident in your ability to conduct an elimination diet to identify your unique diet triggers and get that much closer to remission from IC. You can watch the free masterclass now by clicking the link in the show notes. All right, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the ICU podcast. I'm your host, Callie, a registered dietitian living with interstitial cystitis. Each week, I'll be diving into hot topics in the IC world, giving others a platform to share their story, and I may even reveal some of my favorite nutrition tips. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get into the episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of ICU. Today, we are diving even further into the nervous system, and with me, I have Grace Mackey, who is a holistic psychotherapist and nervous system coach. So welcome, Grace. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Happy to talk. Happy to talk. We, (laughs) I feel like we can't talk about the nervous system enough, especially in in terms of IC. No, not, not even enough. I mean, it's, well, I was about to say nervous system was a buzzword right now, at least in my world, obviously. Sometimes I forget how far into my world I am, but it's talked about, it's more talked about now, but, but really what does that mean? Um, so we'll get into yeah. that, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive into all that, can you share a bit about your journey and what led you to become a holistic psychotherapist and nervous system coach? Yeah, for sure. So um, first and foremost, I am a psychotherapist trained and got into it because I started therapy as a teen um, after going through a lot of depression, anxiety, and some trauma. And I will continue to say to this day that that therapy, especially that group therapy I was in, totally saved my life. And so I was like, I have to do therapy. I have to be a therapist. So um, I went to school for it, but during school, during grad school, I developed a lot of chronic pain. Um fibromyalgia essentially, and had no idea, no understanding exactly what that was. I also had uh, eating disorder, disordered eating at the time that I didn't realize, and it was all just coming out. And so since then, I've been on a long journey of just understanding how the mind and body work together, because I truly didn't at that time. I mean, I was going to all kinds of doctors, chiropractors, anyone, you know, to see me to help and wasn't really helping until I actually had a, um, a functional MD say, I think you need to go see the psychologist. I was like psychologist. Um, and so I did, and she specialized in therapy for chronic pain and I healed about 80% of it. And so since then, um, 
well, truthfully, I didn't, after that, I didn't really give it much thought. I just didn't have much pain anymore. And it just kind of went on with my life. And then further down the road, I experienced some other symptoms, things like gut issues, histamine headaches, lots of flare-ups like that. Super, super sensitive to food. Um, I was down to eating like close to nothing for like a year and still at that point, didn't connect the dots that there was stress induced nervous system regulation induced. Like there was a lot of psychological issues there. And so, um, finally a loved one kind of shook me and was like, Hey, I think you need to address this kind of similarly. Like you addressed the physical like pain before. And when I did the specifically the food sensitivities went away in like a few weeks, just because I had that foundation of understanding and knowledge. So from there I was like, Oh, okay. This is freaking amazing. I have to do this. So I went to training for it. Um, and so I now work specifically with anyone who struggles from chronic pain, chronic fatigue, um, types of chronic illness, symptoms, headaches, gut issues, things like that. And I come at it from a nervous system and brain training approach. I kind of call myself like a coach meets a therapist because we work on trauma-informed things, but we also really dive into regulating the nervous system and retraining the brain. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So like I was saying to you earlier, we've had a couple guests in the past come on and talk about the nervous system and its relationship to chronic pain. But today I really wanted to dive into the phrase nervous system dysregulation and what that means. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So when our nervous system is dysregulated, first off, this happens throughout life, but when it becomes chronically dysregulated, we get really stuck in what's called the stress response. And the stress responses in our nervous system is where um, physically, mentally, emotionally, we can get in this, and I think of it as like this like locked, constricted place internally and sometimes physically in our bodies. And so when we're in that place, our mind literally doesn't have enough energy and openness to think critically, which makes us human to think rationally, to make decisions. Our body doesn't have enough energy to be in what's called rest and digest where it actually starts to not start to do, but it has the ability to heal itself. Our bodies are amazing and just do that anyway. Um, but when we are chronically stressed, it doesn't have that availability to do so. And the ways that it gets chronically stressed, um, are usually, I mean, it's multifaceted. It is many, many, many ways and reasons. There's genetic predispositions, um, trauma, little T trauma, big T trauma, um, environmental exposures. I mean, there's so many, it's not usually just one. And that's why it builds up over time throughout life. Sometimes it can happen by from, from some like huge trauma in your life, if that's, if that's you. Um, but to be honest, more often than not, it happens over time with little things that build up. Mm-hmm. And again, it happens from mental ones, uh, physical ones, meaning mental experiences, physical experiences. Yeah. And I heard the term big T trauma, little T trauma through the course I did with Nicole Sachs. I wasn't sure if that's like something that she created or if she just like learned that somewhere and included that in her course. Do you know? Yeah, no. So, well, to be honest, I don't remember exactly who created those terms, but it's a very common terms to describe different types of trauma. Um, Do you want me to go through? Yeah, that'd be amazing. 
So big T trauma are, is usually what people think of in terms of trauma, a natural disaster, a divorce, a um, physical accident, a car accident, you know, something big like that, where it's kind of objectively obvious. Usually society kind of says, yes, these are traumas, right? Um, little T traumas are things that we don't always recognize as trauma. And I want to preface that the word trauma can kind of have this negative connotation to it, which yes, it is a difficult experience, but basically trauma is the experience that happens within us, inside of us, based on what's happened to us. And so it is very subjective. There can be two people that go through the same thing. And that might just be growing up in a household where you were emotionally neglected or on and off, your needs weren't really met very well. And one person can react um, have a dysregulated nervous system from that. And one person may not as much, or it might just show up differently. It's very subjective. So there's something called the window of tolerance. And, um, when something has happened to where we can't handle that, our internal systems can't handle that. We go outside of our window of tolerance and that's where this dysregulation happens. And when little T traumas build up over time, again, like neglecting emotions, um, bullying, when people, when people have been through bullying more often than not throughout their lives, there's definitely lots of little T traumas that have built up things that hurt us inside of us that we don't really understand right off the bat. They build up and our nervous system is like, I can't handle this anymore. I don't know how to work with this emotional, mental, sometimes physical stuff that's going on. So I'm just going to shut down or I'm just going to get really stressed and really tight and controlled. And that's where we see all kinds of things happen, whether that is physical illness, mental illness, or even just like symptoms, migraines, I see things like that. Mm -hmm. um, is that our yeah, body's way of protecting us? Yeah, exactly. All right. When we have chronic symptoms um, and truly symptoms is very broad because it can mean lots of things, chronic things that are not being able to be helped. Um, and then we're just working on managing them. When we have that, our body really just wants to protect us. And it's like, I can't handle this other thing that happened. I can't handle the mental, emotional part of this. So I'm just going to like find this other part in my body and send some danger signals there to send some pain there so that you can control that because I can't control this other thing. So it's really smart, right? But we just don't understand that and know how to work with it. Mm -hmm. So your body can hold on to this trauma and then that can manifest as physical pain. Yes. Yeah. It is crazy what our bodies put us through, but it's, it's part of being human, I guess it's, it's, it really is just trying to help us. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's shown in like brain research studies and shown that, um, neural networks in our brain actually change because of little T or big T traumas that we've been through. The cells in our body literally shift because of what we've gone through in life. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then for people who had, those little t traumas or big t trauma that like repressed those emotions i mean is i guess what i'm trying to ask is how simple is it or what what how long would it take someone to like get better after do you know what i'm trying to ask um how how long can it take like to rewire that or to, yes, to get out of yes, that yes that is what i'm trying to ask i just can't find the words yeah the length of time, man, I can't fully answer that, but I will say that the science supports that it is possible because you can change the neural networks in the brain. It's 
called neuroplasticity. I think you said you've ta- you've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what nervous system regulation and brain training help with literally changing those associations that your brain has with past experiences. Yeah. Time-wise, I can't fully answer that because everyone is different. Everyone is subject. I mean, yeah, everybody is different. Right. But, um, yes, it's completely possible and it's shown. That's great news for (laughs) everyone listening here. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw in your content a lot about this panic fear cycle. Can you talk about what that means? Yes. Definitely. So when you've dealt with some kind of chronic symptom, whether that means pain, bladder pain, headaches, I'm just going to say symptoms. When you've dealt with symptoms, you've probably built up over time a fear of what's going to trigger that, right? Because we don't always know and we're just trying to figure it out. And so then over time, you built up this tight fear thought process, anxiety, right? Around what's going to trigger you. Um, and so sometimes that might be food sometimes for someone with pain, that might be like sitting in the car something like that. And so before that event even happens, before you even eat that food, your brain and your body are in this just like overdrive fear cycle of trying to think about, well, what if this happens? What if I'm in pain? What if I react to this? And it's just, what if, what if, what if, what do I do? I don't know how to handle this. When that happens, that sends your nervous system into a very high stress response. And when you're in the very high stress response, we have more pain and symptoms. When we have more pain and symptoms, it just increases the fear. And so it's literally just a cycle. Fear increases, um, nervous system stress increases pain, increases fear. It's just this like cycle we keep getting in. So in order to break that, we have to work with both the anxiety and the, you know, physical symptoms of what's going on. It's, it's an all approach. So the more anxiety and fear we have in our brain and our bodies, the more it's going to stress out the nervous system. And really what's underneath chronic symptoms is a stressed out nervous system. There is not one person. I always hate, I hesitate to say all or nothing statements, but really, I mean, there can't really be a person with chronic symptoms that doesn't have a stressed out nervous system. Even the fact of going through your health journey create stress. It can be traumatic just to go through a health journey like this, because sometimes it's just not always known what's going on. You might go to doctors that don't understand you. You might feel misunderstood. You might be, you might be told it's all in your head. I mean, there's a lot that can happen creates more of that. So I went off there, but yes, that pain fear cycle is such a big proponent of, um, any kind of chronic symptom illness. Mm -hmm. So how, do people like, how are we supposed to lessen the anxiety around what is triggering our pain? Like, how do we work through that like panic fear cycle? Yeah. So there's a few ways to work with it. First and foremost, we have to understand it. We have to be aware. At least the way that I work is a big proponent. A big portion of it is psychoeducation and really understanding what's going on in your brain, what's going on in your body. I will literally show pictures of your, your brain of where that fear happens, where there it's called the amygdala is where fear happens in the brain. And when anxiety is going on, that amygdala is like, I imagine I visualize it as like, like shining red. It's like enlarged, it's like inflamed. Um, and so we have to understand that one part one is working on understanding it. And when we can understand it, then we can sometimes track it 
I actually just had someone ask me, why does it happen so suddenly? And sometimes it might feel like that, but oftentimes that fear has been building for a while, even when you're not conscious of it. So much of this is happening unconsciously. So we have to come back to work with, okay, what's happening? What are our signals of anxiety? What's happening in the body? Are you like antsy? You have tight chest? Are your muscles tight? What are you thinking? Are you ruminating over and over about the same thoughts? And I usually tell people when you're above like a seven or eight on the anxiety scale, when it is like panic mode, sometimes you can't just sit there and meditate and breathe. I realize that it's just not going to happen. Right. So we kind of have to work with distraction. Like how can you kind of distract yourself? How can you bring yourself back down by remembering, because this is what you're learning, remembering that that thing you're fearful of that food, that's not the core reason of why you're experiencing symptoms, pain issues. It's not. Even if you react to it, we know that it is not. So we have to literally kind of get our brain and body on board with that understanding. Um, and then when we can learn to retrain the brain by visualization techniques, meditation, breath work, and regulate the nervous system in that way, it can help break that cycle. So when you decrease anxiety, usually what happens when I, with, well, yeah, usually what happens with my clients is that they'll say, wow, I really did have a lot of anxiety decrease in the past couple of weeks. Like I'm not waking up just panic mode anymore. The pain hasn't fully changed that much, maybe a little bit here and there, but it doesn't really bother me as much because the anxiety isn't there. And then after a while, then that pain starts to come down. But the reason why we suffer so much is because the the anxiety on top of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. I, I know a lot of people listening are going to really relate to this. There's a lot of fear and panic in the interstitial cystitis community. And it's, it is really difficult to cope with, even if you do identify that that's what you're going through. It's like, yeah, well, how do I fix that? So I think, you know, everything you just said was really helpful. There are a decent amount of people in our community who are in remission or have been in remission from IC and struggle to actually enjoy their life again out of fear that they're going to do something, maybe eat something or I don't know, go on a long car ride and something. They're, they're just terrified that they are going to flare up their their symptoms again and come out of remission and be back in that that pain so do you have any advice for somebody in that boat yeah definitely um it's a real thing right I mean when you've seen some progress man of course you don't want to go back to that place um it's a really hard place to be in so takes a combination of one continuing to do what you know works for you. How did you get here, right? Really, really continuing to maintain that progress, however that looked like for you, what worked. And also knowing, I call it my safety plan. Like there isn't perfection in chronic symptom world. I don't fully believe in perfection. Um, So there might be some big stressors in your life to come because that's just life. We have big stressors no matter what's going on, who you are throughout your life, you're going to have stressors, which can increase symptoms because it's just your body's way of coping. It's just a coping mechanism. So when those happen, you have a safety plan to know how to handle it. Doesn't mean it's going to send you backwards to where you were and you're going to struggle for months or years, 
But if you have a flare up for, I don't know, a certain experience, a few days, whatever it is, you know what to do to work through it. And that's really important because then when you feel like that, you feel like you have a little bit more control. And when your brain has more control, it doesn't go into fear mode so often, or so mm-hmm. easily. Um, but it doesn't mean, you know, things happen. It's just, you might be able to work through it. So like, I I usually say there's been in the past couple of years, I've had two different times where I've had that histamine headache happen again. And I worked through it in about two days and I was fine, went through it, right? It sucked, but I didn't go back to where I was to where I was having them every single day and couldn't eat anything anymore. You know, it just is something that you learn to work with and you become so much more confident in yourself to be able to do so. Let's take a quick break so I can talk to you about something exciting I just launched. So as an icy warrior, you may be feeling a little anxious with summer coming up and all the parties, barbecues, and vacations that might be coming your way. It's at these events that you'll likely encounter plenty of tasty summer foods that unfortunately may not be so nice to your bladder. Well, I'm here to make sure you don't miss out on delicious summer flavors just because of your diet restrictions. Introducing my summer e-cookbook bundle. It contains over 100 bladder-friendly, summer-themed recipes that were hand-selected by two IC dietitians. The bundle contains recipes from our IC-friendly Summer Eats e-cookbook, mocktails and party snacks e-cookbook, and our IC-friendly Smoothie Recipe e-cookbook. Trust me, this bundle has got your taste buds covered. Don't let your dietary needs hold you back from enjoying mouth-watering dishes this summer. Grab our e-cookbook bundle today and indulge in flavor-packed recipes hand-selected by registered dietitians. Get ready to savor summer without irritating your bladder. The bundle with a total value of $75 is available to you for just $50, meaning you're saving a whopping $25. Click the link in the show notes to grab the bundle now. And if you love a recipe, make sure to let me know. Mm -hmm. I think some people struggle with black and white type thinking where it's like, oh, I'm in remission. And then I had this flare up and now I'm out of remission. And like, all that work was for nothing. And it's not. I mean, if you have the tools in your toolbox to manage a flare that does come up, you know, you you can go back to that remission state or whatever, where your symptoms are managed. Like it doesn't have to be black and white, all or nothing. Like you can get through that. It just seems to be what what your your head is thinking and, and your mindset, right? Oh, definitely. And actually it's shown that people with chronic symptoms, specifically it's researched with chronic pain, um, that we have certain personality characteristics and perfectionism is one of them. I was going to ask you about that next. (laughs) Yeah. It's so fascinating. I didn't know this until I went through the training, um, like throughout my healing journey, I didn't learn this and maybe, but when I went through the training and learned it, my mind just clicked and I was like, Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. This makes so much sense. So um, the the post I saw, you said there are three different disorders that have similar personality characteristics, and it was disordered eating, chronic pain, and anxiety. And then you had arrows pointing to perfectionism, internal pressure, self-criticism, need for control, trauma in history, and future tripping, which I don't know what that means, but the rest of that is like 100% me, and I'm, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it is just, I mean, it's fascinating. It is so fascinating how they're able to actually find this, but it also makes so much sense. So 
things like perfectionism, self-criticism, anxiety, um, a tendency to just put a lot of pressure on yourself. If you can kind of imagine what that feels like, it's very internal. All of those things are very internal, right? The kind of pressure you put on yourself, the perfectionism that you expect of yourself, the anxiety that comes with all of that. It's a lot of repression and repression, not only just with um, thoughts, but specifically emotions creates this internal conflict within us, which there's no outlet. Like there's no external way to process. We just keep it all sucked inside and it has nowhere else to go than our bodies. So um, also not just that in addition to I mean, exactly to what you were just saying, the tendency to black and to think black and white. Yes, that is something we all have to work with if you've dealt with chronic symptoms because um, it's our mind's way to try to control. We really want to try to figure out how to uh, how to expect something so we can make sure we don't get hurt or how to just control an outcome, right? Um, And so with chronic symptoms and with eating disorders, disordered eating, those are very closely tied. And that's actually where I'm, I'm trying to bring more awareness to the combination between disordered eating and chronic symptoms, because there's such an overlap that a lot of people don't recognize. I've noticed that in the IC community and in my clients there, there are a pretty significant amount of people that have a history of an eating disorder or have developed disordered eating habits through their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's tricky because, and I think you spoke, spoke to this before that. Yes. I mean, food, food is a part of health. We can't disregard that food has nutritional value or anything. Right. Obviously at the same time, focusing so specifically on it and trying to control it and being really fearful of it. It's actually shown to digest differently when we're so fearful of food, right. We're hating it or hating ourselves for whatever we're eating. And so just all internally does not sit well. So the point is that because food is so wrapped up in health and because we're trying to figure out what's going to hurt us, what's going to help us, you know, it's just something that can be, it's perceived to be easily controlled, but it's that, especially when you've dealt with disordered eating or have an eating disorder, you know that you think you can, but it's not that easy. It doesn't work that well or doesn't work like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I notice a lot of people in our community that become like obsessive over food Mm -hmm. and then they severely restrict their, their eating. And then there's a whole, you know, a handful of things that can happen like nutrient deficiencies, weight loss, Mm -hmm. developing that, that poor relationship with food. And it's like, this is food is something that we do have direct control over. So I do think we are putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to eat quote unquote, perfectly. But the thing is, we don't have a a diet specifically for IC that is heavily researched and proven. We we don't Mm. have something like that. Like, yes, we have the IC diet, but that was based on anecdotal data, basically what people have said has been bothersome for them. So it's kind of like... Yeah, it's helpful in in giving you a place to start an elimination diet to learn your triggers. But a lot of people are latching onto that, that list, and they're just seeing the foods on the no column of that list. And, and they're from then on out, like pretty terrified to eat those things. And 
most of the time it's usually okay and people aren't sensitive to those things but it's it's just this act of getting that list and then starting that fear response mm-hmm. because you want to control you want something to work right it makes sense you're going to want to control it totally you know i don't i speak to this sometimes i'm very open about my journey um and i had been through recovery with disordered eating and felt great. And even an eating disorder therapist, when I started developing these histamine reactions and it was all towards food. And I even remember at the time being like, this is crazy. How am I reacting to all these foods? But at the same time it was happening. I didn't know what else to do. And so, yeah, I went down the list, went all the, all, all the things. Cause I just had to figure it out and it was kind of working to control them. Right. But also not really. I was so debilitated. Couldn't go anywhere. And and so, yes, at the same time, I can kind of help, but it's not the answer. It's just managing a little bit of mm-hmm. your day to day, but then actually creates more stress, which creates more symptoms. Right. Goes back into that cycle. Yeah. And I get so irritated when companies like Everly Well are coming out with these food sensitivity tests because they're really not <laughs> proven testing methods they're not supported by the i don't even know what the name for the allergy people in the united <laughs> states yeah. who, who don't approve but it's like that test typically shows the most common foods that you're eating on a day-to-day basis as being things that you're sensitive to and so it's kind of a scam honestly like and it's triggering that fear response for so many people. They think they have this list of like 50 foods or ingredients that they're sensitive to. And it's it's really not it's usually what you are already eating. Pet peeve to the max. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Um, I usually say unless there's an obvious, I mean, unless there's, you know, a tested allergy, um, it's not going to be the answer. Yeah. There's yes. Always- sure. There's component it's not the answer there's always people that are like oh well I did that and I did find like my my triggers that way and I'm like that's amazing I'm so happy for you I, but you are in the small minority of people who actually had success with those type of tests so it's like mm-hmm. there's always going to be the outliers but if you're listening to this I would not waste your time on a test like that <laughs> no <sighs> yeah so I mean it I know you're you're not really super familiar with the IC community, but you're you're kind of getting the gist that that food is a really big issue with us. And I, mm-hmm. I think something I'm struggling with as a registered dietitian is how do I help our community move away from that fear response? Do you have any suggestions? My first answer is I want to say learning why it's not the answer can be so important. Now, some people's brains are just going to disregard that and be like, nah, I'm still going to learn this. But when people have um, stories in front of them, research in front of them that understands, okay, this, the food is not the answer. They can at least start to get on board. It's called, I call it buy-in. You can get the buy-in that, okay, your brain and your nervous system are a component of it, actually the root of it. Um, then they'll start to lean in on some of these skills and things that I'm learning to, to, to teach, to help. Um, there's still going to be that questioning in the back of your mind, right. That no, I just need a physical protocol to help me. Right. And this is usually what I say to that is that may that can help. That is not 
um, like, like food, like learning how to handle food again, doesn't have to be the, is not the answer. And that might be something that you work with down the line, but if you don't learn to regulate your nervous system and retrain your brain, that will never work. So detox diets, like detox protocols, diets, things like that, all of that other, either, even like holistic functional medicine world, it can be fantastic, but it will not work if you are so dysregulated and stressed out all the time in your body and in your mind. So you have to work with both and really fully start with the nervous system and learning how pain manifests in your body. So what are some examples of opportunities people can have out there? Because I know there are many programs and practitioners and I mean, even me, I've, I've looked into doing it personally, like working with Mm -hmm. someone or doing a program, but I'm like, I have no idea, like what's the best fit for me. So Mm -hmm. what, what would be your recommendation there to find something that works for someone, you know, individually? Yeah, that's a good question. So just from the ones that I know, the people that I know that do this, everyone, to be honest, somewhat, somewhat, they're all going to have similar components. If they truly do work with the mind and the body with the nervous system and the brain, they're going to have very similar components. It just depends on how they approach it. Um, the type of program, meaning like the length or the type of one-on-one contact, right? There's a lot of those contextual, just logistic elements that they do. It does matter. Um, so I think important things to look for, are they trauma-informed? That's a big one. Cause we no matter, even if you recognize it or not, there's something, there's always things in your past that are affecting you now. You don't, they don't have to be a therapist to work with it. But if those programs, coaches, therapists are, are trauma-informed, that's a big component. That's a big indicator that I would say go for. Is that something that would like be on someone's website or do you have to yeah. ask? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it definitely should. I mean, yeah, it will be. Okay. They will. They will say that. It's important. They, they would do it. Um, and the people that I'm thinking of, I, knew, I do know. And I can get these resources too if you sure. want to link them. One that works with what's called top down and bottom up. So what I mean by that is top down means like literally brain. The top is brain. The bottom is bottom or body. Um, So top down means more thought-based process, more retraining the brain to affect the body. So um, when we work with our thoughts, things like it's not not like positive thinking or anything it's just when you work on retraining your thoughts and retraining your brain that's called top down because it starts with the brain bottom up is going to think things like body-based practices which sometimes are more nervous system practices somatics if you've heard that word before like somatic experiencing or somatic therapy soma just means the body so when we work with body up we are working on using the body to help calm the nervous system And that can be anything from things like breathing techniques, um, movement. It can be more just really understanding how to pay attention to your body signals. So then you can give it what it needs. And so I would suggest, and not everyone does this, but a few that I'm thinking of do work with both. And I do think that's really important because we are working with the mind and the body, right? So I do think it needs a component of top down and bottom up. 
And then really time commitment. So there's one in particular I'm thinking of that it's a lot, which is why I hear some people don't really finish it fully follow through with it, which is when they come to me and they're like, I don't know, I tried it, but it's just intense. <laughs> um, and we don't want to stress you out any, even anymore, you know? So the other component that I would say is you do have to be bought in. You do have to commit to it. It is a thing that you have to practice. Like there's no sugarcoating it. It is you helping heal yourself. So you're getting guidance and tools and knowledge, but you have to want to do it and you have to be in it. Right. It's not. Yeah. I guess I'll just say in, in with that, because it is part of the process. You do have to be willing and wanting to do it. Okay. Yeah. Those are great things to look for. Um, but definitely send me those recommendations. I mean, yep. we have listeners from all over the world, so I'm, I'm sure your, I don't know if they would be like us based, but We'll take um, what we can get. Both, both actually. Yeah, I have oh, awesome. US and and um Europe and yeah, both. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. And I had a, a couple more kind of random questions that don't quite tie into what we've been talking about, but I'm just gonna ask them just in case they could be helpful yeah. for someone. Um so there are many doctors in the IC community that tell their patients they just have to deal with this pain or take medications. What advice would you have for people who have heard this and are feeling that hopelessness mm. that's a pet peeve of mine <laughs> <laughs> um first of all that ugh, I'm sorry you're feeling so hopeless it sucks it so sucks to be in that place I mean I can think of countless times I left the doctor's office crying it's not completely true. Now, can you be completely cured and get over it in then a month or whatever? Probably not. But, but it is not true. You don't have to just deal with it and take medication. I would even say you can, I mean, there's so much, you can do way better than that. It's just not widely known and it's just not advertised enough. You do have to find it and search for it. If you're listening to this podcast, you have found something. So (laughs) lean in. Um, because there is way more hope possible. There's so many stories, not just from me, myself and my program and my clients, but from the other programs that I will mention here. Um, the reason why I want you to understand that it, there is hope and that you don't have to just sit with it and manage it with medication is because it's happening. So there's so many other people doing it, which is also why I don't just talk about my program. I seriously send people to so many other programs if they work better, because I just want this information out there there's way too many people suffering with chronic symptoms because it's just, it's not fully accepted that there's a mind and body component. It's not accepted in the medical, large medical community that our mental health affects our physical health and vice versa, um, which is unfortunate. And I hope that we get there more there someday, but it's not right now. Mm-hmm. You can tell you're really passionate about this and I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> Oh, I just, I just hear too many stories and me experienced too many times of like, just, yeah, doctors saying, sorry, there is a medication or there isn't a medication. I don't know what to do. It'll just deal with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had that happen to me. I, I got a cystoscopy done by like my local specialists. Like they were like the best of the best in my area. And they were like, yeah, I don't see anything on your bladder. You've done all the treatments that we would do for you. So there's literally nothing we can do. We'll refer you to like two other practitioners and like one of them I already had a bad experience with and I was like okay great so then I went home and I was really sad and I was in a lot of pain because I just had a camera 
in my urethra. So yeah, personal, personally experienced that. And it's a really crappy feeling. Yeah, it is. I wish I had listened to this episode six years ago, (laughs) maybe even earlier. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's actually interesting too. I, it had come across to me various times from, um, like I've always been in the holistic world. So I've seen traditional doctors. I've seen holistic doctors. I've seen energy healers. I've seen so many people. And so there have been times where, um, it wasn't called nervous system training. It was, I don't know what it was called exactly thinking of a certain program that it was kind of brought up to me, but I just didn't, I think there are two reasons why I didn't go there. One was, I truly just don't think I was ready for it. I think there's a time and place when you're ready for this. Mm-hmm. And two, well, I just didn't get that. I didn't understand it at all, you know, and it wasn't really advertised to me in the best way. Also, it wasn't very accessible. There was like one program for years. The one that I mentioned that it just, it's really intense and a big commitment um, that I think people shied away from. And now there's multiple different people doing this in way more approachable, acceptable way. So yeah, I guess to me a point in saying that is that there really is a time and a place for this. Sometimes you do kind of, unfortunately do have to go down that hard route because it's way easier to think that there's a physical treatment that can just help, right? If there was just a surgery that just magically make everything go away. Yeah. You would do that over this really hard self-work, but that's not the case because the root cause is this self-work that we need to do. Mm-hmm. That was the mindset I was in from age 18 to like 23. Like I was just looking yep. for that magic cure that would just yeah. take all my pain away. And mm-hmm. it, I learned the hard way that that's not how it goes, or at least it went for me. So mm-hmm. I do agree that it, it takes time to get yourself ready to receive that information and work on it. Yeah, it does. Okay. And then when this is kind of general, but when someone is going through a really tough time, maybe they didn't get good news at a doctor's appointment or they're having a really bad flare-up day, what are some things they can do to support their nervous system? Mm, good question. Mm, okay, a couple things. One, um, really watch how you're talking to yourself what your mindset is in, if you're in this like frustrated, upset, angry, rightfully so, right? I want to validate that. But if you're just stewing in this, like never going to get better, my life is horrible, this shit sucks, you know, over and over and over again, it's just going to stress you out more. So like have your time, cry it out, do whatever you need to do, set a timer for like 10 minutes or an hour, whatever, right? Feel it, be in it. And then if it's really just, if it's that day, um, do things or something to help you feel soothing, to help you feel joy. I know that might sound so simplistic and like, I can see some eye rolls happening, but (laughs) that is the core component or core, um, outcome, if you will, that we are looking for when we're regulating the nervous system. So seriously go do something joyful for yourself. Even if you kind of have to force it, um, go take, something really soothing, just do something that soothes you. And even if it feels like it's hard to do so, what would you do to a friend? Again, I recognize that is so cliche, but it is true. How would you treat a friend? How would you talk to them? What would you do for them when they're really, really hurting and struggling? Because the more that you treat yourself that way, the more it does soothe the nervous system. And I say that 
because I mean, unless you've learned specific regulation and like brain training tools, then those are really, that's just an easy thing to understand and approach. If you've gone through a program and learned, I would say like user skills. Um, but even, even that using your skills is getting you to that place. So yeah. Mm -hmm. No, those are all really great tips. Um, I, I've been trying to think of things that I could do for myself to soothe my nervous system. And I have come up with two things. So one is listening to like nostalgic music. Cause I don't know yes. why that really just makes me feel a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, old Jonas Brothers hits from when I was in middle school, yes. which their album, their new album just came out today. So I've already listened to it. I don't yeah. know about anybody else. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing is watching like a comedian and like getting that laughter. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, laughter is super important. Mm -hmm. It activates the, we didn't even go here, but we, it activates the vagus nerve. Um, which is, I'll just briefly describe it since I brought it up. Um, the vagus nerve is a nerve that it is the base of your skull, basically like the top of your spine. Um, and when your nervous system is dysregulated, it is shut off. So we actually want it to be activated and basically working. We want to turn it on. So things like laughing, like gargling, doing some, there are certain exercises that you can do like with really gently massaging your neck and things like that, that activate that new vagus nerve. Um, so those are really helpful. Um, using your eye movements, you can literally Google the, the Google this. There's YouTube videos of vagus nerve activation. That's mm -hmm. honestly, that's how I learned in the beginning. So YouTube Google and it. TikTok. Yep. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's great. I, it's so funny you bring that up. I, have been really going down the road of like 90s music. I went to a, a class the <laughs> other day and they just blasted like Lizzie McGuire and Ooh, like um, Hanson and things like that. And oh, it's been bringing me so much joy. Yes. There's a playlist my boyfriend and I listen to. It's called like Angsty two, 2000s Teen. And it's so good. <laughs> it. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Is the best, but yeah. yeah, I guess just find something that works best for you. I feel like I've said mm -hmm. that like 20 times on this podcast, not on this, yeah. episode, but like previously. So yeah, know, okay. I'll say this too, and know the different energy maybe that you need. So actually in my program, I have two different playlists. One is, I think I call it healing self playlist, which is very much more soothing, just relaxing music to really just soothe and listen to. Another is like a literally a hype up dance playlist because sometimes you really just need that hype, right? And those two different energies are both great, but you know, needed at different times. So make different playlists for your different moods, your different energies. It's exactly about learning how to pay attention to yourself and giving yourself what you need. For sure. Yeah, I need to move more towards that and away from like my true crime murder podcast, <laughs> not helping my nervous system. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. But if you can enjoy it when you're not stressed, go for it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, this conversation has been amazing. I can't wait yeah. to shout it from the rooftops and share it with literally everyone in our community. So thank you so much for taking the time to come on here and share your expert knowledge with us. Thanks for having me. I could seriously talk about this all day long. So I'm happy to be here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to make sure you're subscribed and following along. If you enjoyed this episode specifically, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell me exactly what you enjoyed about the episode. 
For more content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Callie K Nutrition.